Hi, Journey. Isn't it great to worship our awesome and great God together? What a great God he is. And he's done so much for every single one of us, hasn't he? Starting with his son, Jesus. And continuing all the way to today. And today we're continuing the series of messages that we call Kingdom Come. We're talking about God's crystal clear directive to us about our responsibility as a church for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust. Because church, see, the solutions are up to us. Being passive is not an option for us. There's no middle ground on this stuff. Either we're helping move people to the solution side of the challenges they face, or we're not. And God is just that clear about our role in all of this. And today we're going to focus our attention on the beautiful adoption piece of God's directive to us. Numerous families who are a part of the Journey Church family have been nudged by God to be a part of his plan by adopting children, domestically and internationally both. And we asked a handful of those families if they would come and share just a little bit of their story with us today. I invite you to watch this. his village in southern Ethiopia. He was malnourished and fighting pneumonia. Seven months and several orphanages later, we brought him home. Now he has a big brother and parents who adore him. My adopted brother and sister are two of my very best friends, so we always knew we wanted to continue the legacy of adoption in our own family. After months of paperwork, anticipation, and waiting, we got a call early one Friday morning saying we had a son and to please hurry to Missoula to meet him. He is our little gift and we are so grateful. I need your help. I need your help. Won't you be my voice? Won't you be Won't you be my peace? 
Being the youngest in my family, I always knew my parents wanted to adopt one day. Now I get to be a big brother, and not a day goes by that I don't think about my brother and sister in Ethiopia. We were done having any more children. Three was all we could manage. But we were at our own crossroads moment. On September 6th, it hit us. As Brian said, the choices we make in the crossroads moments in life decide some things for other people as well. It is not just about you. Watching our friends process adopting a child from Ethiopia, we found God asking us to take a risk and realized the cost of saying no would be greater than the cost of saying yes. Because our choices affect other people too, we want to keep saying yes to God. His daddy passed away It was just two years ago He keeps looking for his face Everywhere he goes He has questions about his life Of what is wrong and I could never have biological children, and I was afraid to adopt. Then, three years ago, I had a near-death experience related to my illness that changed everything and opened the door in my heart to consider adoption. Because of our passion for kids, we had been serving in youth ministry for 16 years. It's humbling to know that this was God's plan all along, even in the times of heartache. All three of us were waiting in the orphanage for three years for our forever family. We were asking God to send us the family that he had in mind for us. Now that we have been adopted, we are asking God to show us how we can help a lot more kids who are waiting for families just like we were. other side of the world She is just a few days old A helpless little girl With no family of her own She is not too late For the journey she is on Life is no mistake Won't you lead her to my cross I was adopted at the age of two from South Korea 
personally experiencing a second chance at life through my own adoption, my husband and I have always wanted to adopt one day. But as life progressed, we didn't put much energy into pursuing it. During my trip to Ethiopia in 2009, God reignited that desire in me and brought me face to face with the children that he had chosen for us all along. As my eyes locked with theirs at the orphanage at Tikaret, God moved my heart in a way that I have never felt since giving my life to him 11 years ago. I went to Ethiopia last fall on a medical mission trip, and I saw there that in many state-run orphanages, there are three infants to one crib and 40 children to one caregiver. I felt that bringing one of these children home was the first step to being obedient to God's call to care for the orphan. These children don't have an advocate for them or the safety of a family who loves them. We as a family are praying for the opportunity to adopt one of these children and love them as one of our own. Yes, we will be your voice calling. We will be your hands leading. We will be your feet walking to a broken world. We will be your chain breaker. We will be your peace. brought your own Kleenex today, right? Lots of you know in the fall of 2009, we brought three of our seven, soon to be eight kids home from Ethiopia. I was there right after, uh, right around election day 2008 in a little orphanage in a little city called Awasa, and I was on a vision trip for our church seeking out what exactly God was leading us as a church to do to serve orphans and the oppressed and the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, and it was there in that orphanage that evening that I met three kids who God had in mind for us to adopt. Now, that wasn't even close to the reason that I was on that trip, but it turned out to be a large part of what God was doing in us as a family and in us as a church as well. Those three kids who we brought home in the fall of 2009, they're named Silas, Joshua, and Malia, and Silas is now 17, Joshua is now 16, Malia's 12. And I asked Silas as the eldest if he would let me interview him today about some of his experiences as an orphan and as an adoptee. And so he agreed uh, somewhat reluctantly to do that. So would you please give a very warm welcome to our son Silas. Hi, buddy. Hi, man. Take a seat right there. Look out there and say hi to all the folks. 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good job. <laughs> First question, are you nervous? Yeah. A yeah, bit. a little nervous. Yeah, that's all right. You're going to do great. They say you're just supposed to picture them in their underwear. And I, I don't know about that. Yeah. I think it's a myth. You don't have to do that. So since you've been home, uh, your story has sort of unfolded more and more as we could understand your English. And so, and as it turns out, you're a twin, right? And this uh, remarkable turn of events uh, where your mom actually had to give up one of you as soon as you were born and how it came to be that you were the one that she kept. And you have a brother roaming around somewhere on planet Earth right now, which is uh, pretty sobering to think about. And uh, after you were born, you went home and you lived, you know, seven or eight years there. And your mom was married to a man who was abusive, right? And so she was scared for you, uh, scared that uh, her husband would do something to you or to her. And so she thought, I better get uh, Silas out of here. Uh, sorry, Alimayu out of here. And, uh, and so she actually gave you over to a friend, you're seven or eight years old, to caretake you out of that house so that you would be safe and so and that all went great right there's a 12 year old brother kind of like a brother in the house with that woman and so you're uh, in this pretty cool family setting that all went great until one day you woke up in the morning and you went to see the woman who was your mom at the time and what happened when I went to her room she was dead on bed so you went into a room and she was dead. She died in her sleep. You're seven or eight years old. Is 12-year-old brother around? I don't know. I couldn't see him around and he was not there. He wasn't there. Yeah. So what did you do then? I tried after like two days. I tried to find him. But I couldn't like find in the neighborhood? Yeah. You looked for him? Yeah, and yeah. I couldn't find him when I just started trying to find him when I just walked a little further from our house. I said taxis. So you went to like the taxi station? Yeah. Yeah. And if you've been to Ethiopia, they have like these blue sort of van taxis. They're everywhere and they're sort of chaotic, right? And so you go to the taxi station and what? Now what? And I saw the, ta- the taxis man saying like, awasa, awasa. I don't know. Yeah, there's a guy that yells out the taxi window, right? Awasa, awasa, right? Yeah. Kind of like getting people, if you want to go to awasa, you better get in this taxi. So you hear that. Yeah. And then I just, I think my brother's in there. Maybe he just went... I was, and I just jumped on a taxi. Did you have any money to pay for your fare? I don't have anything. You didn't have anything? Yeah, I just... Seven or eight years old, sort of stowing away on a taxi. Yeah, and... To a city that's 30 or so miles away. Yeah, and some... The people start collecting money. The taxi man asked me my money. Yeah, where's your money, buddy? Yeah, and I don't have money, and somebody just... Ask me where I'm going. I told him I couldn't find my brother. I think he's in Awasa. I'm gonna try find him. And okay, all right. Okay, somebody just pay for him. Me, I guess. Somebody took care of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went to Awasa, and everybody started getting off from taxi. At all their stops. Yeah. Yeah. And I was only the one on the taxi now. And the taxi man asked me, "Where are you gonna get out?" And I think I'm going to just get off here. And yeah, I'll get off right here. How's this? Yeah, and here was where? What, what was that? It's like called Pina Hotel. I yeah. think you've been there. It's a big hotel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's how Manafasha is the people go like after there. Yeah. Like a little restaurant next Rest, to it? Yeah. yeah, and I just 
get down there. Like I was scared and tired. I don't know anybody around there, and I couldn't find my brother. I thought maybe when I just get out from taxi, maybe he's around. Yeah. I couldn't see him, yeah. and I just went to whatever like they have outside. Tables, benches, and yeah. so yeah. I just sit in there and I just I was tired and I just fell asleep in there. It was day when I wake out there. I was sleeping on a desk. You fell asleep out there on that bench. Yeah, yeah. and when I wake, it's like nobody's there. It's dark. I just scared. I don't know where to go. I just sleep there. Yeah. When I wake in the morning, like somebody work around there, like leave her. Yeah. They saw me and. The guy sort of sees you, and this guy who sees you runs a table, a table tennis, biz- yeah. a ping pong business where people yeah. come and pay money to play ping- like a ping pong arcade, right? Yeah. And so what's he do? He just asked me what, what I'm doing here, and I told him I was trying to find my brother, but I couldn't find him. And he, he just, he just take me to his house, and he asked me, you can work for me, and until you, you can find your brother. But I'm not trying to find my brother when I stay with him. I'm working for him. Yeah. Like count and collect money when people play. The so you're you're keeping score. Yeah. But and you're the guy who people pay. Yeah, but after I, they play their game. Yeah, but I don't know how to count. You I didn't know how to count. Yeah, I never been to school that time. Yeah. And I so just, you didn't do very good keeping score. No, the people start. <laughs> the people start hitting me when I say. You guys play five times, and then they only play maybe two or one. And they say, they don't want to pay more, and they just, now you're lying. We didn't play five, and they just hit me. And they hit you? Yeah. yeah. And they, not just one day, almost every, every day. day. And somebody worked across the, the place I work in, and he's, like, he worked in tele. Mr. Tarafe, who lives sort of across the street, he sees this. Yeah. Look, there's this little boy who's trying to collect money, and the patrons are beating you, right? Yeah, and then he kind of stops the fighting all the time, and he saw all the time they're gonna they they do to me, and he say he asked me my story too, and I told him, and he talked to the guy, I'm gonna take these kids, and then they he claim. took you home. Yeah, and yeah. sent me to school, named my name by his last name. Because he asked you what your last name was, and you said... I don't know my last name. That's yeah, so he gave you his name. Yeah. And I started learning. I started going to school, and after that, he worked. He, like, trouble sometimes. Yeah, he and was traveling on business. And yeah. And he had a younger brother, and he make me hard work and, like, teach me how, like, to work and live. And you were a shoeshine boy then. Yeah, he buy me stuff to shine and shoes. You shine... Shoes. Yeah, and then live with his two, brother. Is it like two pennies? Like two pennies American for a shoe shine? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, two pennies like, American for a shoe shine. Yeah. Wow. And after that, like, he moved somewhere, and I was living with his brothers. And when I used to live with him, I live a little better life. When I start living with his brother, they don't buy me lunch. I have to buy, I have to work the shine, and uh, Money and yeah, buy. Two pennies, two pennies yeah. doesn't buy very much lunch, right? Yeah, but it's it's all right. I guess I'm, I'm buy there. The, yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't have enough anything, and they try to find me or find it. I ended. Up you like showers, right, Silas? Like you, you're a big fan of showers, and you didn't get to shower. Very, yeah, when very I live with them, I don't shower. Maybe one or maybe twice in a week. 
Yeah. But when I went to orphanage, we have to take shower like every day. Yeah, now day. that you're home, you empty the water heater. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He has yeah. a lot of hair to watch. I think that's why. <laughs> okay, so fast forward. So uh, with Mr. Taraf's brother, didn't go very good. You end up with Mr. Bekele in the orphanage, and uh, life is good in the orphanage. Yeah. And then one day, this guy from Montana who wore a red shirt showed up. That was me, uh, and we spent an evening together. And w what were you thinking about all that? When we saw you first time, you came to orphanage, and, like, we didn't... We have families, they say somebody's gonna adopt us, but they just, like, we got a lot of families. They changed just, their mind. Yeah. So you would have families that were going to adopt, all three of you. Yeah, and then, but when we saw you, because you was talking with other people, and we, you saw us, and by window you... I went. came over to your room, yeah. and we talked through the window. Yeah, and me and Joshua was saying, that's my dad, I guess he's gonna take us, and... and Josh said, no, that's mine. And I said, that's not... That's you were fighting over me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. I assure you, they're all done with that. <laughs> and then after that, we talked to you. And later after a couple of days, and the man told us, you guys have family. Somebody's going to take you guys. But the guy just came a couple of days ago, and he, I think he's going to take you guys. He's going to be your family. And then we say... Yeah, and we was thinking too, and we was happy, and then we didn't believe, but we already have other family, they start process, mm -hmm. and later they change mind again, yeah. and then we st this process started by you guys, yeah. by, and we saw the picture you guys sent. Yeah, we us. sent you the photo books. And yeah, and we said... Oh, this is the one he came in. The guy in the saying, red shirt. That's, yeah, and we saw the shirt. And we thought, yes, he, we were saying that's our family. It's going to be our family, and we were happy. Yeah. So then we, we go, and uh, they moved you to Addis by that point, to the sort of transition home. Yeah. And then we came, and you knew we were coming the next day. What, what was that day like? You know you're going to meet your family the next day. Yeah, we was. Because they told us, your family is going to come tomorrow. And then we was excited and happy. And, but I couldn't sleep that night. Because the night was very longer. Like, I don't know, it's like twice the other. <laughs> <laughs> Two times as long as the yeah. normal nights. Yeah, I couldn't wait. Like, when I wake every time, it's stay night, stay dark. And, and in the morning, when you get, I saw you guys, like, oh, my gosh. And my dream was... Just say my family came to take me home, and I was happy. Yeah. And we did. We brought you home. We stuck you on a plane, and we flew 30 hours, and you kept saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And yeah. no, we weren't there yet. And finally, we're here. Uh, and Silas, we just uh, tell us, what do you think the rest of your life is going to look like? What do you think God has for you for the rest of your life? What do you want to do with your life? And no pressure. I think... <laughs> I think God had plan because he picked me from the street and I see a lot of kind family. I went with them. I didn't keep living with them. I got one find me right family and I got a right family. I think he had plan to do with me. You think God has a plan for you? Yeah. yeah we've read that somewhere before, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. And when you grow up, what do you want to be? Um, no pressure. I'm going to try to help 
the people lying on the street, they don't have family and don't have food, yeah. getting, heading by cold and hunger. Here or in Ethiopia, where, anywhere? Anywhere God want me help, I'm yeah. going to try to help them. Yeah. Thanks, Silas. I sure love you. Thanks for doing this. Way to go. Give him a hand. Thanks. Good job. Transition with me and travel back in your mind's eye to the city of Ephesus around 50 or 60 A.D. And Ephesus was this very metropolitan city. It was sort of the New York City of the ancient world. Population somewhere around a half million people or so. It's on the Aegean Sea, modern day Turkey. It's one of the great cities in all of Asia Minor. Now there's a few major industries that drive the economy of the city of Ephesus. The primary one was the goddess named Artemis. And Artemis was the goddess of all things sort of female reproductive stuff, right? She was the only goddess on record ever having assured blessing and health on women through their whole reproductive process from conception to childbirth. And that was really important to people in the ancient world because the mortality rate of women in childbirth was astoundingly high. And so the goddess of Artemis really brought home the bacon because millions and millions of people would pilgrimage to the city of Ephesus so that they could pay homage to Artemis and receive her sort of blessing uh, so that the mother and the family might not die in childbirth. Now, a close second in revenue-generating industry for Ephesus was the slave trade. Ephesus was the slave trade capital of the whole world. Some statistics tell us that roughly half of the population of the Roman world were slaves. There's tens of millions of slaves. Strong support uh, on record historically that say that about all, just about all of the slaves in the ancient world around that period were brokered through the slave market in the city of Ephesus. So you have Artemis and you've got the slave trade going in the city of Ephesus driving the economy. So where do all those slaves come from? Well, how do you generate tens of millions of slaves? Well, sometimes they come from slave families, right? A slave family gives birth to a slave child and the slave owner then can do whatever they wish with that slave child. They can sell them or keep them. It's up to him. They are his sort of property after all. Some slaves were the product of conquering other regions. They would bring the captives back from conquest and they would sell them on the slave market. But the most common source of slaves in the ancient world around 50 or 60 AD was unwanted babies. Unwanted babies. And here's how it worked in the city of Ephesus, every city in the Greek world, frankly. There would have been this place designated right outside the main city gate of the city of Ephesus where any woman after giving birth to a child could come and leave her baby to die. Mothers would bring their unwanted newborns, leave them, and their children would die of exposure. And that's just how it went. And you do the math, and if there's roughly a half million or so residents of the city of Ephesus, there's tens of thousands of people coming from outside of the city, pilgrimaging to, is that a word, pilgrimaging? I don't think that's a word. They're making the pilgrimage to Ephesus to pay homage to the goddess of Artemis. You do the math, and it comes out, there could have been upwards of 100 babies a day or more who were left to die. And really what is the city dump right outside the main gates of the city of Ephesus. And for all kinds of reasons, mothers would come and leave their babies to die. They would use it as a form of birth control. It was a way to get rid of sort of unwanted daughters, as daughters in that day were a drain on a family's economy. And that just makes our stomachs turn, doesn't it? We can hardly even fathom that. 
And here's what would happen that's even worse. The slave traders would come out from the city of Ephesus, and they would go to the sort of baby pile, as that's what it was, and they would rummage through the unwanted babies, and they would take them back to their slave compounds, and they would turn them into slaves. And once those slave traders took whichever infants they thought they needed, they would put their babies, the babies in little cages, and they would raise them to be slaves, whatever kind of slave they needed or wanted them to become, musicians or teachers or craftsmen or stonecutters or prostitutes or cooks or housekeepers, whatever kind of slave would bring the most profit at the slave market, that's what you would train them to be. Absolutely hideous, right? And then enter the Apostle Paul, the great Christian, one of the great Christians of all time. And he's in Ephesus, and he's ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's discipling new Christians there. And he would have walked by, and he would have seen the baby dump. He would have seen the slave market every single day as he was on this mission of bringing the kingdom of God to the city of Ephesus. And the apostle Paul, sometime later, he wrote the book of Ephesians, which was a letter to the church at Ephesus. And we can't say, scholars can't say with any certainty that it's what he had in mind, the slave market or the baby dump, as he wrote these words. But listen carefully to the words that he wrote to the church in Ephesus where all of these horrific things are taking place, slaves and babies and so. I'm gonna read you from the message translation of the Bible, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. Here's what Paul writes. Long, long ago, he, that's God, long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us, that's all of us, to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. And so you hold that text up against this horrific thing that's going on right outside the city gates of Ephesus at the slave market inside of the city of Ephesus, and that passage becomes really, really piercing doesn't it? And it becomes really, really piercing, especially because all of us were just like those little babies who were left for dead out in the garbage dump. Because of the sin nature that's hardwired into us, our plight was not anything except death. That's humanity. And the slave traders from Ephesus, they had plans for all those babies. It would make them musicians or teachers or craftsmen or stonecutters or cooks or prostitutes or housekeepers. Whatever kind of slave would bring the most profit and they'd go get them from the baby dump and that's what they'd raise them to be. Worse yet, lots and lots of those babies, the slave traders would have sort of analyzed them, sort of rummaged through them and then they would have left a whole bunch of them, tossed them off to the side, discarded because they just wouldn't make the grade. But get this. God had another plan for you and for me, and it was the exact opposite of slavery and death, wasn't it? God came along, and he said, you, every single one of you, I take all of you. I take every last one of you, and I make you my sons and my daughters. I adopt you all into my family through my one and only son, Jesus Christ. And the text says quite explicitly, And God took great pleasure in planning this. God took great pleasure in planning your and my adoption into his... Think about that. That is stunning. And I know in a room like this, that there's a whole bunch of us probably sitting here today who have just sort of been messing around. We've been flirting with following Jesus. 
We've been sort of dancing around the edges, around this notion of giving our whole heart, our whole life to Jesus Christ, taking this headlong plunge, asking Jesus to be our savior, making him the boss, setting Christ into the driver's seat of our lives. You're sort of flirting with it. Flirting with Jesus. You're reluctant to give everything you are to the God who sent his son to show you how to live. And here's what Paul writes to you especially. You who are just sort of messing around the edges. Paul writes, God took great pleasure in planning your, your adoption into his family. You. And you know what it cost, God. It cost him the life of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and yet the text tells us he still, in light of everything it cost him, still took great pleasure in making the way for you and me, all of humanity, to be adopted into his family. And folks, that is nothing to be messing around with. That is nothing just to be flirting with. Hear Paul saying to you today, knock it off. Don't just mess around with this incredible gift that God is giving you. Get off the dime. Stop flirting. Embrace this great God who with such great pleasure went to such great lengths to embrace you and adopt you into his family today. Like, don't leave this room without settling that once and for all today, and I'll help you with that move in just a few minutes if you'll just hang on. And Journey, I want you to hear me say quite emphatically that our church being involved in the realm of adoption, it isn't just a fad thing for us. Like it'll be around for a little while or something and then we'll move on to the next greatest thing or whatever. I want to tell you that that's not even close to the truth. Adoption is absolutely crux to our theology around here because for the families in our church who have adopted, for those in the community who are adopting, in the process of adopting, for those of you for whom it's just a matter of time until God nudges your heart on the matter of adopting, you are taking great pleasure in the exact same thing that God himself takes great pleasure in. Do you get that? You're taking great pleasure in the exact same thing that God takes so very much pleasure in. That doesn't mean that I think people who adopt have some corner on the heart of God market or something like that, no. Adoption, see, is the closest thing going on planet Earth to the very thing that God does with every last one of us. Because those of us who are a part of God's family, we can only count ourselves among his family because he adopted us. We weren't born in. None of us were born in. We were born instead into the ranks of slavery and death like the millions of infants left outside the gates of the city of Ephesus. But God took us in. And he makes us his own and he takes great pleasure in that adoptive work. And so it's really in light of that theological, and that's what it is, it's a theological underpinning that we're gonna start to make increasingly bigger deals out of those in our church and our community who foster kids, who adopt kids domestically and internationally both. And we're gonna hold those families up and we're gonna hold those kids up and we're gonna say, look, all of us, because they're a part of us, we are getting to be a part of the very same thing that God himself is a part of this adoptive work of God. And God's still about it today, isn't he? 
He's all about finding babies and middle-aged children and older children, children whose apparent value has been diminished. And he doesn't make us slaves and he doesn't discard us. Instead, he adopts us. He brings us home. And he makes us sons and daughters of the Most High God. His very own. And for the purpose of keeping us focused, just like a laser beam on this mission that God has given us with regard to adoption and orphan care, I'm really privileged to introduce you to a brand new ministry we're launching this week, and it's called Encompass. And Encompass is going to serve our church, our community, our region with adoption and foster care and strategic development. You were handed that brown card. I hope when you came in, you could pull that out now if you wanted to. And that card outlines every single thing that Encompass is about. And Tara Bradford, who you saw up here on the stage with her family just a few minutes ago, she's an adoptee, adopted from Korea. They just recently brought three kids home from Ethiopia. She's leaving her role as my executive assistant to take the point on the adoption and orphan care side, partnering with Kate Townley, who's leading the strategic development side of this ministry called Encompass. And Encompass in the name says so well what we hope and dream long for this ministry to be all about because encompass actually means to bring about or to accomplish to bring about or to accomplish and so we actually are praying hoping asking god that we might be able to accomplish god's mission of orphan care through this ministry called encompass and locally, Encompass is going to serve our church and our whole community, helping families, first of all, discern whether or not adoption or foster care is right for their family. It is not, please hear me clearly, it is not for everyone. And there ought to be a very prayerful, God-led, prayer-bathed process of determining whether or not that's God's plan for your family. And then once you've locked in there, Encompass will help you choose an adoption agency, work on the home study process, put your giant stack of paperwork together, We'll help you with fundraising ideas because adoption, frankly, is just way, way, way too expensive. And we're going to support you when you get home with your kids all the way through from start to finish and beyond. That'll be sort of the local piece of it. And then globally, we're aligned with several strategic partners in Ethiopia, working with churches and schools and families in a part of Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, called Cora. Now, I know there's probably some of you sitting out there who are going like, yeah, that's all well and good, Brian. Thanks for all that, launching a new ministry that's going to get around that, but it's just not for me. You know, I'm not going to adopt. I'm not going to foster. I'm not going to go on a trip to Ethiopia. Blessings and, you know, all that on people who are, but it's not for me. And I just want to say very, very politely, I beg to differ. I very politely beg to differ because, see, church, we are God's plan A. We're it. We're God's plan A for his kingdom coming on earth just as it is in heaven. There isn't some plan B waiting off in the wings somewhere else. God actually intends for his kingdom to come through us, all of us, which means that every last one of us have a role to play in this ministry called Encompass. And on the backside of that card, there's action steps for all of us. No matter how old, how young, what our age or stage is, it doesn't matter. And none of those action steps are trite. We can start by praying and there's some prompts on that card that'll laser focus your prayers on this stuff. You can serve. There's a whole bunch of ports of entry for you to get in and serve in the Encompass ministry. I assure you there's an opportunity that fits your spiritual gifts and your passion. I promise. You can advocate. Scripture speaks real loudly, telling us, speak up for the cause of the orphan and the widow and the oppressed and the downtrodden. Bring awareness to it, God says. You can do that. Every one of us can. And then those of you, especially with the spiritual gift of giving, you can give. 
Because lots and lots of families who God nudges to adopt, it's just not a reality financially for them. And so you can partner with them and actually be a very, very tangible part of offsetting the expenses of their adoption. And then, in addition, encompasses partnering with some fantastic ministries right here who are doing stellar, stellar work to bring the kingdom of God. The first one is a ministry called Fathers in the Field. And I love Fathers in the Field. We've been serving with them for about a year now. And it's a ministry that pairs father figures with boys who don't have dads. And did you know, America, that fatherlessness is epidemic in our country? 37% of America's children, 25 million kids under the age of 18 are growing up in fatherless homes. And Fathers in the Field steps into the midst of that mess and seeks to rekindle and establish the spirit of boys who have been abandoned by their dads. And they mentor them one-on-one in life skills through outdoor activities by sharing a Christian understanding of our Heavenly Father's love and sacrifice for all of his children. A guy named Mark Pierce leads Fathers in the Field around here, and he'll be out in the lobby today, and he would be, men, this is for you, he would be delighted to pair you with a boy who you would mentor. We're also partnering with Sacred Portion Children's Outreach as part of the Encompass Ministry. And you probably know Sacred Portion as the Summer of Hope folks. And they're in the lobby uh, as well today, Craig and Jan Druckenmiller. And they partner with us doing home studies and especially on the Summer of Hope project. And they'd be delighted to visit with you as well. And church, where this lands for us, I'm just going to bring us back to it again and again and again. That we're plan A. We are plan A, God's plan A for making a difference in the lives of orphans and the oppressed and the downtrodden and those who have been left in the dust. And Encompass and Fathers in the Field and Sacred Portion Children's Outreach and Summer of Hope are some ways for all of us to put feet on Jesus' directive for us to be about bringing the kingdom of God to earth. That's it. Bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And you saw those families who stood out here just a few minutes ago and the back of those cards when they flipped them over their sign said we say yes and that's the invitation and that's the call to every last one of us because passivity is not an option God is urging this isn't just Brian on a soapbox this isn't just Journey's thing this is God this is the heart of God himself and God's tapping every one of us on the shoulder and he's saying will you say yes Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Take your stuff and set it aside, please, and just go to prayer. Just invite you to think about some of these things with the Lord, if you would. you're still in a posture of prayer and listening what are your next steps what are your next steps I assure you that if you ask the Lord what you're supposed to do next to get around and compass or fathers in the field or sacred portion I assure you that God will not be silent 
I assure you that God will have an answer to the Lord, what should I do next question. It's just a matter of will you do it or not? Will you go out and talk to somebody in the lobby? Will you men be a mentor with fathers in the field? Will you give very generously to help families adopt? Maybe you and your family, you're supposed to be a foster family for one kid or two kids or a whole bunch of kids. Maybe you're supposed to adopt. Maybe you're supposed to help a family put that big old packet of paperwork together because you're really good at that. And all of us, every one of us, we can pray. We can pray. Will you just say yes? Get off the bench. Get into the game. Kingdom come through you, through me, through us. And then maybe you're a person who's here today and you have yet to be adopted into God's family. Maybe you're the person who's just been flirting with Jesus. You've just been messing around the edges. You've never given your whole heart and life to Christ. You've never asked Jesus to be your savior. You've been running from him, rebelling against him, pushing back, hiding. And to you, Paul says, God took great pleasure in planning your adoption. God took great pleasure in planning your, you. No matter how much it cost him, he still took great pleasure. And so I invite you, will this be the day that you are adopted into the family of God? And will you embrace him? This great God who with such great pleasure went to such great lengths to embrace and adopt you into his family. And if that's your action step today, I just invite you to just stop running. Just stop. Give everything you are to him. Come home to God today. Come home. Ask Jesus to wash you clean in his shed blood so that you can know him and follow him and serve him now and forevermore. If that's your choice today, I just invite you to pray right where you are, a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you. I know I'm a sinner. I get it. Everything in my life has been going against you, away from you, contrary to you, and I'm done with that. Jesus, it's you that I want. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking my place, for dying to set me free. And so here I am. Wash me, make me new. In the power of your death, burial, and resurrection, I'm yours, God, and I love you. And if you're stepping into the family of God today, there's not a bigger day in your whole life. It's such a big deal that I'm going to ask you to indicate that that was the decision you made today. I want you to know no one's looking around this room except me. Would you just be real bold and slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and just say, yep, yeah, way to go daughter of God, you, today, brand new, way to go, over here, yeah, son of God, been adopted into his family today, yes,
God, that reality, that truth that Paul reveals for us that you took such great pleasure in planning our adoption is just staggering. Mind-blowing, really. So with every bit of gratitude in us, we just say thank you. Thank you for making us your sons and your daughters. And God, we're pledging to you that that's not just going to be a gift that we sit on. We're going to tear into it and we're going to be about kingdom come. For every person on planet earth, God, we're going to be your hands and we're going to be your feet. And we're going to share your gospel. We're going to bring tangible aid. We're going to relieve suffering. We actually think it's possible, God. We actually think that we can make a difference through you. And so send us out. Send us with passion, compassion, and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Kingdom come through us.